Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, I have the honor to interview the Conservative Party of Canada nomination candidate for the riding of Thornhill, Melissa Lansman. Melissa has a rare uh, portfolio of high-profile positions in the political field and in the private sector, including senior leadership roles on federal and provincial campaigns and uh, vice president at a leading global public relations firm. Throughout her uh, career, she has also led some high-profile political campaigns. Uh, and so, Melissa, my first question to you today is, why did you get involved in politics? Well, I got involved in, uh, in politics pretty young because I wanted to be a part of the change. Uh, I knew that politics was the way that we can, uh, that we can make this country uh, a better place uh, for, uh, for everyone that, uh, you know, that, that lives here uh, by, moving, uh, by moving certain policies. Uh, and I got involved uh, because I was very interested in the direction that our country was going into. And at the time, I, was, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't happy with the direction. So for me, it was about changing that direction. And I found, uh, I found a home in, uh, in politics. I found my friends in politics. Uh, and I found that uh, I loved uh, talking to, uh, you know, to people in our party and to, uh, to Canadians writ large. Okay, so why do you want to be the member of parliament for Thornhill and why should conservative members in Thornhill give you their vote? Well, not, not, a, not a tough question. I was born and raised in Thornhill. I've spent my almost my entire uh, life in Thornhill. So it's, it's, the, it's the only community I truly know uh, as, uh, as somebody who, uh, uh, who was there. And I, and I was there at the beginning of, uh, of when Thornhill started making its shift to, uh, to conservative politics. And we had you know 12, a, a good 12 year run federally with the, uh, the current member who's retiring, uh, former minister Peter Kent. Uh, I was involved in his uh, his early election, and uh, and that's when we got started with making real change for Thornhill. And uh, I think that we've got to broaden our party, we've got to broaden our base, and I think that I'm the right person to do it at the right time on Ter on Aaron O'Toole's team. Okay, and so um, what makes you better than your opponent, uh, Gila Marteau, to lead Thornhill into the next election and to represent Thornhill in Ottawa? Well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I, we're not the kind of campaign that's, uh, that's going to disparage our opponents because I think conservatives should spend time talking about how we're going to defeat Justin Trudeau. And I think that there is a time for change in our party and there's a time to focus on growing uh, our, our, uh, our party base. I think I'm the right person to do that. Uh, I think in terms of taking a leadership role uh, in Ottawa, I think I'll be able to do that. Uh, I think that I'm a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a good communicator and I think that I have the ability to draw more people in. Okay, and so uh, if elected, what would be some of your um, top priorities and some of your top issues that you really want to make your voice heard on? Well, Wyatt, I've been talking to uh, the membership in Thornhill for, uh, for quite a while now. And, and of course, we're hearing about uh, the pandemic and that's sort of the immediate getting us back on track, getting the economy back on track. But I hear people in Thornhill and I agree with them talking about issues like critical infrastructure. They've been talking about uh, a young subway since I was about uh, 12 years old and there's still no shovels in the ground. Uh, I hear about, uh, you know, I hear about the federal government's uh, uh, or frankly, the, the federal government's failure in, in procurement on a vaccine. I, th I hear about conservatives maybe not talking about the environment all that much. And I hear, uh, you know, I hear frankly that, uh, that we've got to be able to draw more people into the conservative party so that we can get this country back on track. 
Okay, and uh, so uh, my next question is, what makes you have the experience to become the MP for Thornhill, and what have uh, you done to be politically involved prior to announcing your candidacy, candidacy for the nomination? Well, I certainly didn't have, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't interviewing people when I was uh, when I was your age. But just after that, I started, you know, I started on local campaigns. I started knocking on doors. I started dropping uh, dropping lit. I walked into a campaign office and I asked, "How could I help?" Uh, and that started my journey. And I've uh, I've been on uh, senior levels of uh, of, uh, of campaigns. I've been in every campaign war room nationally since uh, 2008. I've worked in uh, I've worked in Ottawa for almost a decade, so I know where. Uh, I know where the bathrooms are there already, and uh, and frankly, I, I ran the uh, the last uh, uh, provincial war room, so I've got plenty of experience in politics, and I've never had my name on uh, on the ballot. And everybody has a first go at this, and I think that it's the right time to choose somebody new, to choose a fresh voice, and to choose somebody who's going to stand up for the things that uh, you know the community in Thornhill wants and needs. Okay, um, so my next question is, does it worry you that the Liberals are, uh, are ahead in the polls by about five points on average? I mean, there's some polls that show they're ahead by one point and some that shows they're ahead by eight points. So five points is kind of the average. Um, and that's according to the CBC poll tracker. Um, and, and that they may even be able to form a majority government. So does this worry you? Well, look, I think it should worry everybody in the country, but I think the only poll that matters, Wyatt, is the poll on election day. And I think that there are a lot of things that we need to be doing right now to be getting ready for the next election, because it seems like uh, the Trudeau liberals uh, are, uh, are, are threatening uh, to go to an election uh, in the midst of, uh, uh, of a pandemic. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready with a vision for Canada. We've got to be ready with a platform. We've got to be ready with the right ideas and the right candidates to bring more people in onto our side so that we can put Canada back on track, an economic track out of this uh, out of this health crisis and start focusing on the things that the Liberals have just ignored for the last five years. Okay, um, so the, uh, the Liberals have a carbon tax in place, but um, it's been proven in numerous studies that in order for the carbon tax to work, it would have to be tripled, maybe even quadrupled. So what should we be doing in terms of the carbon tax? Should we be tripling it? Because that would obviously make life more expensive. Um, or or what, what is the solution? Well, look, I don't think taxes change the weather. So you can, you, you'll know where I am on, uh, on, on, on the carbon tax. There has never been a tax that the, uh, the liberals don't like. And we've got to start talking about the environment in conservative ways. And taxes aren't, again, aren't going to fix the environment. It is a, it is a, a solution that has to be technology driven. It's a solution that has to be uh, industry driven. Uh, and there has to be a genuine plan that isn't just a tax that makes life more unaffordable, not for every Canadian, but for, uh, you know, for some Canadians more than others. Folks in PEI who don't have the opportunity to uh, to take transit like I do uh, in the GTA. Uh, so we've got to find a solution that's uh, that's fair, and we've got to find a solution that's actually going to reduce our footprint. Okay, you mentioned green technology, and that was something that Andrew Shear really campaigned hard uh, on in the 2019 election, and that was one of um, uh, the conservative campaign's biggest. Um, priorities, I would say, as it relates to the environment. So is this something that um, the uh, O'Toole government would look to do as well? 
Well, we have a policy convention uh, coming up, as many of our members uh, know. But I can't see I can't see a conservative party without an environmental plan. I've never met an, a conservative that didn't want cleaner uh, cleaner lakes and uh, fresher air and uh, and more parks and uh, and less of a footprint. Uh, and we've got to get there, and we've got to get there in a fair way that doesn't tax Canadians, that doesn't send that carbon tax up triple uh, to do the thing that it's supposed to do that it didn't do, including like you know you mentioned. Mentioned, you mentioned that it didn't work. It certainly didn't work in BC when they applied a carbon tax. The uh, the emissions actually went up. So there has to be a better way. And I suspect that Aaron O'Toole, his team, our policy convention, and our party is going to bring forward a credible environmental plan that Canadians can get behind. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely be watching the convention. Um, small businesses have been impacted by COVID nineteen. So if elected, uh, if a Conservative government was elected, what steps would uh, conservative government take to work with the different provinces and territories to ensure that small businesses from right across the country can stay open. Yeah, look, I think that uh, the pandemic has uh, has taken an excruciating uh, toll right across uh, right across industries, and you're seeing that in provincial budgets, and you're seeing that in the in the spending that's coming out of Ottawa. And our, you know, our, our focus going forward can't be on austerity and cuts, um, uh, you know, fully. We, we've got to get the spending under control, but it's got to be focused on growth. And it can't be, a, uh, it can't be the, the repressive taxes on, uh, on small business and medium business owners that are not going to allow them to thrive and, uh, and expand. It has to be focused, again, on economic growth, on investment attraction to this country, on making sure that young people, young entrepreneurs decide that they want to do business and they want to live in Canada. Uh, and we've got to reduce the red tape uh, in order to get more people in the market doing the things that they want to do as small business owners in this country. Okay. And so uh, my next question to you is a small, or rather under conservative government, how would you bring back the 213,000 jobs that were lost in the month of January? And how would you try and bring back these jobs as quick as possible? Because a lot of these jobs could take years to recover. Yeah, and uh, and you're right, and it's been it's it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year across the board. We've had uh, you know we we've had an unprecedented uh, health pandemic, and we've had some unprecedented spending in uh, uh, in this country, and some of it was for uh, for good reasons, and a lot of people. Uh, certainly lost their jobs. I was there in 2008 when we started, you know, when the, the, the world went into its last global recession. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Harper plan was focused on growth. It was, it was an economic action recovery plan that focused on creating jobs, uh, creating critical infrastructure, uh, uh, creating, uh, sort of creating uh, new projects uh, for people to thrive in, where eventually by 2015, we were back to balance and we had created almost a million jobs. So that there is a way to do this. And uh, that's exactly the uh, the plan that Aaron O'Toole and, uh, and his team will bring forward uh, when elected. Okay, so COVID-19 numbers um, haven't really been going up in the past week, but they also haven't been going down. They've been kind of um, at the 1000 to 1200 mark for the past week. So do you believe that we should be implementing more or less lockdown measures? Because at this point, I think that's probably one of the biggest divides that we have as a country. 
Yeah, look, I so I, I think much of this falls within uh, within provincial uh, jurisdiction. I, you know, I absolutely believe that we are, uh, you know, we are grown ups and we can wash our hands and we can wear a mask uh, and we can practice social distancing. But this all comes down to the fact that we have had an absolute abysmal vaccine procurement. Uh, and if we got there faster, then I think that it would take some pressure off of the provinces to continue these rolling lockdowns, which I do believe uh, it, it is time to uh, it is time to end. Uh, certainly, based on the numbers that you just said, but based on the evidence that we're uh, uh, that we're saying, uh, I think it's a, it, it's time to take the uh, the foot off the uh, off the brake on the economy and focus more widely on things like mental health, uh, on things like making sure that people are safe and making sure that they have a livelihood to come back to. Okay, I know this is a provincial issue, as you mentioned, a lot of these issues are, but it's cool to get um, a, yeah, absolutely. a political person's opinion on this. So, um, but the Trudeau government is encouraging provincial governments to implement paid sick days. Do you support paid sick days? Because a lot of um, the provincial governments, I know we've seen here in Ontario, the Ford government um, does not support that. And then obviously many uh, governments don't support it. And there's speculation on why they don't support it, but do you support it? Look, the Ford, the Ford government doesn't support it, and I'll you know talk about the issue of Ontario is because it already exists and there's duplication. And I think that uh, you know governments should be focused on uh, on getting people back on into uh, into the economy, getting people who uh, uh, you know who can work uh, back to work as quickly as possible. And if the programs exist in the province, which in some cases they do, uh, then there is no reason to uh, to duplicate those. There is a lot of areas of focus, and it's not just paid six days. Uh, we have had we have a government in Ottawa that is absolutely not talking about growth uh, and not talking about bringing the jobs uh, back. Uh, they're simply printing more money, uh, more handouts, and we've got to come up with a plan where that's not the case anymore. Okay, and so my next question is, how can youth get involved in politics? Oh well, I mean, you're you're doing it you're doing it right now by uh, by having this conversation. But you know, my biggest uh, uh, my the the best thing that I ever did was walk into a campaign office. Uh, I was 14 years old. I didn't know very many uh, very many people. In fact, that day that I walked in, I didn't know anybody at all. And instantly, I found uh, you know I, I found people that were who saw eye to eye with me and were, were helping me, you know, find the things that I like to do to volunteer. So volunteer, get involved, get involved with your EDA, get involved with the, uh, the party convention coming up, pay attention uh, and watch your show. Okay, um, so my next question is, um, I, I'll, I ask a lot of the people who come on my podcast this question and their answer is, most of the time they'd be happy to serve in whichever role um, they're given and that obviously is probably true for most people but if you could have a minister role what would it be in terms of what your kind of areas of interest are look i think um i i i would agree with most people on your show and that diplomatic answer is that i would be honored to serve this country in whatever i was asked to uh to do that uh to, to which whatever role that i was uh, asked to uh to play uh, but fundamentally, I think before we get there, we've got to focus on bringing more people into this party. Uh, we've got to broaden, uh, you know, broaden our coalition in order for us to win seats in the GTA, in order for us to win seats in Quebec, so that we can even have this conversation. And hopefully, hopefully one day I'll come back on your podcast uh, with an area of, uh, of, of, of what I'm doing to, uh, to change policy in this country. 
Okay, so kind of on the topic of um, the question I just asked you, kind of cabinet related, in this case, shadow cabinet, but I want to ask you specifically about Pierre Polyev. He was shuffled out of finance uh, a few weeks ago and placed into jobs in industry. Uh, he was replaced by uh, Ed Fast. Um, what do you think about this cabinet or about the shadow cabinet shuffle? And do you believe that this will hurt or benefit the conservatives in the next election? I mean, obviously, Aaron O'Toole's intention wasn't um, for it to hurt them in the next election, but a lot of conservatives are, are criticizing him because they say that they liked Pierre Polyev in that position. Yeah, you know what? Pierre is uh, Pierre is supporting my campaign. He's also a good friend, and he's a uh, you know he's one of the conservatives with the uh, with the most credible voice uh, on the uh, on the federal scene. And no matter what role Pierre is in, um, he's going to do great things um, for the party for holding that opposition to uh, to account. So you know, I'm not the leader. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm. I don't pretend to understand why why decisions are made. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, with, wherever you have Pierre, uh, he is going to be an effective voice uh, as an opposing voice to that government in Ottawa. So I want to talk about um, the federal budget, and I have two questions on this topic. The Conservatives are saying that uh, it can be budget in, in 10 years and that, uh, and that that's the number that it will take. What would you say to someone, though, that says that 10 years is too long? Um, and yeah, what would you say to someone that says that they feel it can be done quicker? Well, it probably can be done quicker, but I actually also don't believe the uh, the ten year mark. I'd like to believe that they that uh, that the liberals are at least focused on uh, on uh, on bringing back some semblance of fiscal responsibility to the country. Uh, but they haven't been. Uh, every budget that they've uh, uh, that they've presented has been higher than the last. Of course, the last one, uh, you know, the the last one was a long time ago. But we're going to see big numbers uh, in this one. And you can't do this by growing government. Why you asked me before what happens, you know, what happened during the pandemic with small businesses, what has happened during the pandemic is that, um, you know, things like charities and churches and synagogues, you know, haven't been able to take in the, the same amount of donations, they haven't been able to provide the same amount of service and what happens when that happens is the government gets bigger, and they fill that role, and it's impossible for liberals to make government smaller, once they've gotten bigger because that's always their goal. So we've got to focus on uh, certainly bringing back some kind of fiscal responsibility, but making sure that the role of government returns to, you know, what it was under, uh, under a conservative government. So um, what steps specifically could be taken to lower the deficit? Well, look, I think there is there is a number of ways. We talked a little bit about this. I think the the the, the best way is to grow our economy, is to uh, you know to bring in uh, a workforce of economic immigrants that will stimulate uh, you know that will stimulate jobs and growth in uh, in this country. It is to build infrastructure. It is to get pipelines built. Uh, it is uh, you know it is to attract investment into uh, into this country because we're not going to do it all by uh, by cutting, but we do have to tighten our belts uh, after this uh, in a you know in a way that doesn't uh, that doesn't give people who don't need something something that they don't need or want. Okay, and so um, one thing with scandals is they kind of have been fading away um, because Trudeau doesn't resign and and no one in his cabinet resigns. So what can be done to ensure that Justin Trudeau is still being held accountable for We Charity and SNC Lavalin, and not even just that, but it, with other parties? If the Conservatives were in government and they had a scandal, how can they be held accountable? 
Well, look, I, I, I think that uh, Pierre is the answer to that question. I think that uh, he did a phenomenal job at, uh, at, at bringing this to, uh, uh, to light and making sure that conservatives were asking the questions. But this is, you know, this is, uh, this isn't a, about anybody else but the prime minister. He has been involved in three ethical scandals uh, personally. Uh, that's more than certainly any other uh, prime minister in, uh, in history. And it's frankly unacceptable. And I think that he's going to have to face the electorate um, with all of those. And who knows, before the next election, we could have scandal number four. Okay. Uh, so vaccines are on everyone's mind right now. Um, the Trudeau liberals are kind of banking on September of 2021. Um, but we have went uh, many weeks where we haven't received any vaccine shipments. So is September 2021 a realistic date? Well, look, I, I, I hope that it's a, uh, a realistic date. Uh, as, as most Canadians, I want my, you know, I want my dad to get a vaccine. I want grandma and grandpa to get a vaccine so that their lives can return to normal and that we can start opening up uh, uh, the economy in, 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 a, in a way where it continues to, uh, to stay open. The vaccine procurement, though, is, is, is one of the uh, Liberals' biggest failures. Uh, you know, not signing contracts uh, on time, making bets on the uh, on the wrong players, and sam simply just being at the back of the line from some of our allies. You know, we're anywhere from number thirty-eight to fifty-two, depending on what day you look at uh, uh, at the charts in terms of how many of our population uh, is vaccinated. And Canadians look at that and they just say that is unacceptable. That is not the kind of country that uh, that we live in. We are a G7 country, uh, and we deserve to see those contracts uh, and get some transparency around what went wrong. Okay, so we've seen uh, that the Trudeau cabinet refused to vote on the Uyghur genocide um, and declaring it a genocide. So, uh, what what kind of message should this send to Canadians? Well, I think this um, the the message is simply I, I you know I think foreign policy is, is one of the marquee failures of the uh, of the of the Trudeau government, and uh, you know it is a it is a lack of moral courage on full display. It is wanting to be popular more than being principled, and is it is wanting to ally yourself with uh, with frankly uh, the wrong players on the world stage. It's being on the wrong side of history. Uh, and I think one day, long in the future, there is going to be a government that apologizes for that abstention. Okay, um, Mike, uh, so still on kind of the foreign policy and China related, but Michael Koverg and Michael Spavor are still detained in China. Uh, we've seen that uh, in uh, President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau's virtual meeting the other day, um, their virtual address or statement or whatever you want to call it, um, President Biden plead to China to uh, send them home, but obviously China doesn't want to send them home. So, uh, what can be done to bring them home? No, look, we have, um, you know, we we've been subject of uh, of of hostage diplomacy from uh, from a regime that you know doesn't respect human rights, who's got an ongoing genocide, uh, you know, in the western uh, uh, in the western part of the, uh, the 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 country. We've got a government that looks to uh, to China as almost a, uh, as almost an ally rather than you know the the destructive communist regime uh, that it is, and we've got a government that is uh, you know that is concerned about uh, saving face with, uh, with with China more than it is uh, about advocating for two citizens that have been in jail for more than eight 
you know, 800 days. I think it's, uh, I think it's now higher than that. So it's certainly, uh, uh, you know, certainly uh, should be on uh, Canadians' minds. I don't know that, uh, that the U.S. necessarily helps. So I'm, glad to, I'm glad to hear him speak to Joe Biden about China because uh, he certainly didn't bring up uh, the pipelines or, or, or Keystone throughout that, uh, throughout that whole meeting. Um, but there is, a, you know, there is a place for sanctions, and I think that place is with our relationship with China. Well, that's the other thing you just mentioned about pipelines. So um, Joe Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, and he's now threatening to cancel Enbridge uh, Line 5. But what steps could the Trudeau government take to try and ensure that these pipelines can stay around and uh, continue to provide jobs for Canadians? Well, look, I'm, I'm not sure that the Trudeau government uh, necessarily wants these pipelines to stay. They've, they've, they've been hostile to, uh, uh, you know, to oil and gas, uh, to the industry, to the entire West for the for the for the for the majority of their tenure in uh, uh, in Ottawa, and frankly, not talking about uh, you know the first decision of the pre of the new president uh, of the uh, U.S. in their first meeting, not bringing up Keystone, tells you everything they need to know. You need to know about uh, the Trudeau government's advocacy for making sure that these pipelines get built. Now, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's important that uh, that that Trudeau still gets uh, you know, frankly. There's a lot of sunk costs in uh, in in that uh, in that pipeline, and I think it's important that the uh, the government advocates for those those costs to be returned to uh, to Alberta uh, at the very least, uh, and start paying attention to a province in the uh, in the in the West that has been ignored by this government, a couple provinces in the West that have been ignored by this government for uh, for nearly six years now. Okay, and so you just talked about kind of being ignored from um, the West, and as a final question today. We've seen the Wexit movement, which now actually has a formal party called the Maverick Party. Um, is, is this party a sign of division between Western Canada and the rest of Canada? I think anytime there is uh, there is elements of uh, 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 you know of, of of dissatisfaction with uh, with the federation, um, you see some uh, you see some of that coming in the population. But I think you'll you'll see from the premier in uh, in Alberta that he's you know that he's 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 very strong uh, on uh, on frankly a united Canada. Uh, and I think it's uh, I think it's something for the liberals to pay attention to. They've you know they've they've ignored the West, and we've talked about it a little bit throughout the the last uh, half hour. They've ignored the West, and uh, you you actually can't do that. And so I think looking forward as a as a conservative government, uh, I think a strong, stable, national majority conservative government that includes the West and the East and policies that are good for both uh, is the way forward. And I wish that uh, the government saw that. All right. Thank you very much, Melissa, for joining me today. And I uh, hope to have you on again, maybe um, when you get elected as an MP, because I'm confident you will. Awesome. Thanks, Wyatt. Thank you.